This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. We're here. It's the end of Do Overdue 2023, a nostalgic Cel- celebration, spectacular apology tour. Yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a little bit of a mm-hmm. little bit of a celebration, a little bit of an apologia, a, a little li- bit just like. We are. We have. You can point at the at a graph and be like, "Yeah, they they are better at podcasting. They have gotten better." <laughs> Look in 10 at years. the number. It Look went at the num- up. The num- These numbers don't lie. That's true. We've got, we've gotten a little bit better at podcasting. Yeah, I think like we're better bit. at podcasting now than we were ten years ago, and maybe like a little worse than we were like five years ago. <laughs> maybe. But we're still like pretty good. We're still pretty yeah, good. <laughs> we all went through a lot the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, this is our book podcast where every week one of us reads a book and tells the other one about it. Andrew and I, for the month of February, have been celebrating 10 years of our podcast. 10 interminable years. <laughs> I love you too, my friend. <laughs> By uh, revisiting some books from earlier in our run um, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about my reasons for revisiting Persuasion by Jane Austen this week. But as we close out the month, Andrew, I'm, I just wanted to take a moment to thank our listeners, mm-hmm. especially the ones who support us at Patreon.com. Mm-hmm. For making the show possible. I don't think we, yeah. we would not be doing it for this long if uh, like a tenth of you were listening. And... <laughs> And all all the all the, those of you that we have ever interacted with are pretty dang cool. So like Yeah, you're fun. We like yeah, doing the show time. for you. Yeah. So that's why we're here. Yeah, I did I did not think we were gonna do it for ten years. I did not think it was going to be like a meaningful contributor to our household finances. Yeah. But yeah. it's been both of those things and it's I'm I am I am glad for that. And I guess what? I'm still curious about the world of books. Yeah, I love books. I yeah. love these things. You hear about these things? You these hear about paper, these things? These little, these little paper sandwiches we like to call books. <laughs> That's the good use of paper sandwich because the paper is what's on the inside. Yeah. People mm-hmm. use sandwich the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, how do they use it? Well, it's like, oh, I'm in a pillow sandwich when the pi- when there's a pillow the above you and the pillow bread. below you. Well, I mean, I, you don't want to open up sandwich discourse. No, I just like, you know, I don't say it's a rye sandwich. I say it's a pastrami sandwich on rye mm-hmm. is what is my discourse here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all, yes, we also waste so you're the a first... Per, so you're a person sandwich on pillow. Correct, yes. Is what you... um, we also wasted the first five minutes of the original Persuasion episode talking about food. So, you know, it's fine. Um, Things come full circle. Yeah. That was episode 24... Jeez, I think I bet we really felt like, man, we've been doing this for forever now. Twenty <laughs> four. We took. I read an email at the. Well, not. I didn't read the full email, but like took a question from our email at the end, mm-hmm. and I was like, I was deep in the weeds referencing recent episodes that we'd done. Mm-hmm. What was I doing? Podcasting, baby. That's just podcasting, baby. So Jane Austen, maybe you've heard of her. Yeah. She's an author. She wrote a bunch of books. Why do you want to redo this one? Because it was episode twenty four, and, uh, and it wasn't very good. Huh? I had well, I had never read Jane Austen before. I don't think you'd ever read Jane Austen before. Certainly not. It was certain you have kind of taken on the mantle of the Regency Victorian, like that. The a lot like of if somebody the, if somebody's going to dig into to like eighteenth century. 18th, 19th, 19th century. Early 19th yeah. century, yeah. And and particularly like the Brontes and uh, you kind of took that on, which I have always respected. And <laughs> I think listening back on the episode from 10 years ago, 
we kind of i her conversation had the air of like i found this book on the moon and it's just this strange <laughs> artifact <laughs> that is like oddly compelling but neither of us quite knew how to talk about it mm-hmm. and i relayed the plot to you mm-hmm. and and i'm sure i read the, nothing coming in well that was back when hardly hardly nothing. yeah the expectation we were not like you know, balancing the show in the same way that we do now. So I think we, for the first Jane Austen we'd ever covered as we were approaching this month, I thought that would be a good one to come back to because I feel like while my takes, my my feeling about the book might not be substantially different, I bet there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about. Yeah, there's a lot we didn't talk about. So I didn't, like, up front... I'll say I did not try to assemble a comprehensive biography of, of Jane Austen. That would take the full hour, like at least. It would, yeah, it would, it would take n- nearly an hour to say everything there is to say about Jane Austen. <laughs> about, about an hour with like five minutes <laughs> for ads, hour. you know? <laughs> um, so I, d- I got some stuff as pertains like specifically to this book and I got Great. a little bit of stuff about her, her, uh, her, how she so okay so this this book persuasion was yeah. posthumously published in 1817 yeah a few months after her death along with all right how you pronounce north Nor- northing northinger abbey yeah. northinger abbey okay yeah. good that's what i was gonna go for but i hadn't looked it up and here we are <laughs> uh that was her first written book actually mm. so they were both published at the same time but one was her like first written book and one was her last written book it was cool. just a little uh Another sandwich. I don't know if this came if up you in will. your. It is. I don't know if this came up in your research. I saw some commentary that this is one of the few books, if maybe the only one, that wasn't like a manuscript she had written and then like came back to. Yeah, I got stuff about. Okay, that. great. Thank I you. got some stuff about cool. that. Uh, but these two were the first that were published under her name, under the name of Jane Austen. Oh, um, her first published book, which I believe was Sense and Sensibility, was credited to a lady. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and then subsequent books were credited to the author of Sense and Sensibility or whatever the previous work had been. Huh. So it's another it's another dimension of the like the George Eliot thing. Uh, George Eliot and a lot of other yeah. writers took a male pen name to you know to find success and avoid discrimination both from like publishers and from readers. Austin chose to maintain anonymity in the same kind of way but did want it to be known and understood that you were reading a book by a lady when you read one of these books. Deal with it. Yeah, deal with it. Mic drop. <laughs> Except they probably didn't have mics. Drop my phonograph. I could drop my friend named Michael. <laughs> drop my two cans t- tied together with a string. <laughs> uh, so she did not, incl- in, you know, including persuasion. Like she, she achieved some small recognition during her lifetime there were a few contemporary reviews of, of some of the earlier books especially um but it was mo- she was mostly a a a writer for the intelligentsia for the other well, people yeah. for the hoity-toity boys who are reading books in yes. 19th century <laughs> england uh this changes as a result of an 1869 biography by her nephew which helped Help to introduce a version of her to a wider audience. I say a version of her because it was sort of a a a, a, a softened image of her, like okay. this, this quote, "Dear Aunt Jane" persona. Mm. Um, and the softening extended even to the like the the picture of her that was issued with this book. It was a watercolor based on an earlier sketch, and if you compare the two, the the watercolor is very uh, like the, the the one that went out with the book is. It's got kind of like a little cryptic, like Mona Lisa kind of look oh, to it. Saucy. And the and the original sketches, she looks just kind of annoyed to be being <laughs> sketched, and just she looks a little more severe overall. But yeah. this this book kicks off a wider, uh, like more interest in in her as an author, like especially because she is depicted as sort of this, you know, just just a just a woman who's making her way writing books. Like, yeah. Um, and, uh, the, so this was sort of the origin point for a lot of mythologizing that, okay, <laughs> that, that's interesting. Uh, subsequently happens. Um, and all, all of this popular attention, you know, it eventually metastasized in the form of Jainites, which is a yes. phenomenon that proves that 
all the aspects of fandom, including gatekeeping and smug backlash and toxicity and people defining the right and wrong way to relate with their favorite fictional works. And uh, community building and connect, like, what, uh, you know, down yeah. after all those other things. I guess. Yeah. But it's not exclusively a modern phenomenon. So no, it's not. Yeah. Um, but I do like, on the topic of smug backlash to her increasing popularity in like the early 19th century. Oh, sure. I got this quote from Mark Twain. Oh, boy. Who liked to bag on her as a way to demonstrate the superiority of like the um, emerging American literature scene come over on, English Mark. literature. Are you, come on, Mark. <laughs> he says, this is about a library that he had on his boat. Uh, Jane Austen's books are absent from this library. Just that one omission alone would make a fairly good li- a fairly good library out of a library that hadn't a book in it. Come on. <laughs> That's very clever. <laughs> Mark. Burn her to the ground. Yeah, take that, lady who's been dead for 100 years. <laughs> That's like somebody opening a video store and being like, no Marvel movies here. It's great. <laughs> Only my movies. Well, it's it's more like opening a blockbuster video and being like, not only do we not have Casablanca, but Casablanca sucks. Yes. <laughs> Don't ask for no, like the no stairway we have Sonic sign. the Hedgehog. Yes. Sonic the Hedgehog two is better than Casablanca. Oh my god! <laughs> I, 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 I it's impossible visit. for these two things to be good at the same time. <laughs> I'm I'm Mark Twain. Oh God, Mark Twain's blockbuster sounds rad, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you you so you mentioned that this book is, it's it's unique in a lot of ways among her works. It is sort of her most considered her most mature novel. It was just written later in her life, yep. like not long before she died. Um, it's written about a woman who is a little older and and maybe past peak marrying age or yep. like out of that bloom of youth yep. phase. Um, where just briefly when you turn 16 or 17, you, everybody's really interested in you. And then after that, you're, uh, you're useless, <laughs> you're useless unless you've managed to get married uh-huh. in this society. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, we've, uh, so like you meant, like you mentioned, um, this is, she wrote this in like two or three years and it was not a thing that she started writing, um, Previously, like ten or fifteen yeah. years before, and then went back to. So, among other things, it makes it the the only Austen novel where we have like extant early drafts, like That's where we can right. go back yes. and see um, edits that she made and things that she changed, and sort of a window into her writing process. Like people have people who have been picking apart that dear Aunt Jane language, like to point to these kinds of edits and like these examples of her process as a. As a sign that she was really, like, really serious about it and really, like, driven to, like, perfect her work and, and change it as, as she went. There was um, one passage in the, so there's a foreword in the, I think, Penguin edition that I read by Jillian Beer, who pulls out a section where the ca- the character Captain Wentworth is explaining how he was perceived to be, like, tied down to someone, like, as if you know, other characters thought he was basically engaged to this woman, mm-hmm. and the the different versions. One of the main changes that she makes is like putting it in his words versus kind of putting it in that. And he said that people said this about him type language, which she she oscillates back and forth between pretty freely as it suits the rhythm of the novel. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting seeing her work through different versions of the same idea, but like whether or not the character is the one saying the information. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of neat. Um, and, and just about her work more generally, because again, when reading, reading like Mark Twain and other people sort of criticizing the, the books that she yeah had written one, one thing that people harp on and something that I probably thought to myself a little bit as I read is that the books are, a little like so, so they are written as a response to this kind of novel is called a sentimental novel or a mm. novel of sensibility. Yeah. That was a big, big old thing in like the, the last half of the 1700s where novels were all just trying to get you to feel stuff, trying to, trying to get you to feel the emotional highs and emotional lows. And, uh, she, <laughs> and I think Jane Austen was trying to write something that felt maybe a little truer or a little realer. Yeah. Um, and a lot of like, a lot of the early fans of her who are coming to her after this nephew of hers has written this biography are 
responding to the sure like the sort of slice of lifeness of the of the narrative that makes the little, sense. the little details yeah and just you know during this read i was kind of struck by you know if you talk about who is reading it when it comes out or who who has the education and the leisure time to read when these books are becoming popular like it does speak to a certain class mm-hmm. and this book has a lot of variation it has a like everyone that we see in this book is pretty well to do or they were at one point in their life mm-hmm. right we don't there are no named servant characters for like this contrast it with something like Downton Abbey right like um sure, sure. just like contemporaneous 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 yeah. work just like the types Downton of work Abbey. no i'm just saying like <laughs> the the works that you see now right that explore type of this upper crust british behavior um she is not at all interested in like anyone who is in the servant class like that. In what's, in, in what's underpinning. Yeah. A yeah. lot of, a lot of works about that stuff now. Like that's, even, even if they're not explicitly trying to like deflate the aristocracy by depicting non aristocrats. Yeah. There's just more upstairs, downstairs happening. Um, yeah, ooh, yeah, there is. Hey, hey. And, and yet I think she is depicting a, a, Certainly, a broader variate, like a, a broader set of experiences than I would have given her credit for ten years ago. Like within this social class, so I think that's probably another thing that makes a lot of the emotional beats hit for people today, even though they are not, you know, upper middle class, lower nobility people from the early nineteenth century in uh-huh. the British Empire, because um, most people can relate to some sort of straining against your your social mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. so um but yeah that's that's so that's some background on this work specifically i mean we can also say since if, if you just listened to our old persuasion episode and then came forward to this one or even if you read the one that i did on um did i do sense and sensibility or you pride did and pride and prejudice for and 72 prejudice. episode 72 yeah and i read the description of that and it's like this is a book where a bunch of people get married yeah well <laughs> so <laughs> Um, our, uh, our, our personal journey with this, this genre, like we, we now have a fuller understanding of these novels being there about that because that was the way that women could get, yeah. could have, cla- could get, could attain class and power. And that was it. That was the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. That was it. <laughs> there's, a, there's actually, there's a scene in this book that tackles that kind of head on from a, from a fiction perspective. And I'll go into a little bit of what I was struck by what I said 10 years ago versus now in terms of like the same things I would bring up versus not. Let's Um, tear it. Let's tear that guy down. I'm I'm not tearing that guy down. I was kind of struck by how. Okay. Let's tear him down. He's been, he's been, he's that version of you has been dead for like nine years. You know, that version of me was not married. Cause we each dial it. We, the version every night when we go to bed, the the person who we were that day dies, and then we wake up the next day. Yeah, I've regenerated a new, a new yes. several thousand times since yes. then. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, take a quick break, and I'll tell you about Persuasion again. Okay. Craig, you know, if you're trying to persuade people of something, whether that's to adhere to a, you know, a, a fandom or a political ideology or or some other thing that you might be trying to persuade people to, to do to listen to my podcast to listen to, to a pick podcast something safe sure get a web get a website okay you should get a website but i don't <laughs> know how you, to make one you don't need to know how to make one idiot you got squarespace oh. squarespace is a website that helps you make websites they give you beautiful templates drag and drop tools 24 7 customer support but they don't give you a big box of html that you have to dig through to find all your like tables and your header tags. Good, because like I don't, you don't want one. <laughs> no, you don't have to. You don't have to muck around in code. You don't. You just don't do it. You just drag stuff around till it looks nice, and then they will fix it if you break something. Okay. <laughs> Here are some other features of Squarespace platform that we like. Uh, email campaigns. There's one. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns, collect email subscribers, and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients, like your site colors and your logo. 
built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. There's also the Video Studio. You can create pro-level videos effortlessly with the Squarespace Video Studio app. It helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. Love driving sales. You also, we talked about analytics. Here's some more stuff about them. You can gain powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And of course, you own everything you put on the Squarespace platform. Of course. They offer one-click data portability if you do need to pack it up for some reason. If you've been persuaded by someone else to go use their website. I don't think that'll happen, though, because of our friends at Squarespace. Yeah. Uh, So go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you are ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Build a website, please. Andrew. Craig, this is a novel. me that you read this book okay. again. Great. I, I definitely Talked did. Talked into it. Okay. Okay. I'm persuaded. Here's my evidence. I can tell mm-hmm. you what it is a novel about. Okay. And I know that some people don't like it when you're just like, this is a novel about this. Just tell me what's in the novel. Mm. I find it useful to make up sometimes to just make a bunch of statements about things that the novel covers mm-hmm. in a, like a thematic sense. You also love the elevator pitch. You love to say elevator pitch. You love to think about I elevator really pitches. I really love saying love to, elevator pitch. You love to break the expression of ideas up into elevator pitches as though we are always <laughs> standing on el- in elevators with people we're trying to convince of things I all the can't. time. I'm trying to remember the last elevator. Okay, the the elevator that I use regularly these days is the one to our pediatrician's office. That's mm-hmm. and and the one in the parking garage near the pediatrician's office. And I in those you're just trying to convince Simon not to lose his mind. Yeah, he's in the fine. pediatrician's office. And it's so far it's pretty <laughs> so, easy, but mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, this is a novel about marriage plots, but it's also a novel about how and when and why you get persuaded or dissuaded from doing things. Mm-hmm. It's also a novel about love lost and love regained. It's a novel about social circles, about feeling out of place in your family, about new and old money. That, and by that, I, I don't mean like some old dollars. I mean like pe- people who have come into no, money versus... Mean- the landed gentry yes. vers- versus, I think, Wentworth is one of the few self-made, quote. Correct. And by uh, self-made. <laughs> yeah, like male leads in a Jane Austen book. By, by self-made, he served in the British Navy during the Napoleonic Wars and got payouts for it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's, the, the self-made, self-made is a, I don't know that anybody is yeah. entirely like everybody needs something no man is an island um no. and it's a novel about different stages of relationship and marriage like half the main cast in this book is widowed and like the other ma- main like half is people who are unmarried <laughs> like there's some uh-huh. married people in this book and some people get married mm-hmm. but it is a lot of people for whom marriage has like gone away in, as an option, yeah, or it, or it has gone in some particular direction. They're either rather. like post post marriage or where where the, where's they, the marriage? They skipped friend. marriage, yeah, yeah. In the <laughs> voice of the "Where's marriage? the beef, lady? Where's the marriage?" <laughs> um, and so it's not I mean, just if you read one of these books and nobody got married in it, I bet you would be like, "Where's the beef? <laughs> where's the marriage?" Hey, Jane Austen, where's the beef bourguignon? Um. <laughs> So those are a lot of the things that the book is about. We'll talk about like the events of the book and the characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was kind of like, I went back and listened to the episode from 10 years ago. And it's fine. We have a fine time. Um, I think by 24, we probably were at least less. What's what's this microphone doing in front of my face than we were in the first couple episodes? I do apologize for like my headphones falling out of my ears at one point. (laughs) Yeah. You know, professional. need to edit stuff out no you certainly do not um no, you don't need to edit anything out just and I, leave it all in so we you know we didn't really have any austin context at the time we i didn't really take much time at all to talk about Anne's place within her family so i won't make mm-hmm. sure i want to talk about that today mm-hmm. 
And as I said earlier, you had not really read any books like this. Um, I mean, we had both only read 12 books ever th- th- That's by well, the time we got to episode 24. Had we done Jekyll and Hyde by that point? Because that was the oh. one that we like broke the rules and we both read the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, you're right. We had each only read at most a dozen books ever, ever. before. Ever. Um, I didn't read a single book before I started this podcast. That's why we started the podcast. And I didn't even know how to read. I was learning on the fly. That's why the early episodes were so bad. <laughs> I also am struck by the fact that as I was reading the book this time, there were three passages. There are more passages that I have notes on, but mm-hmm. there were a couple that I was like, ooh, I want to come back to this one. I'm going to highlight this one and maybe I'll bring it up. All three of them were in the podcast 10 years ago. Oh, good. Well, um, yeah, I definitely, when I read The Secret History again, on I, I read the Kindle version. I hadn't read the, I hadn't had a Kindle version of uh, sure. Love in the Time of Cholera. So uh, yeah, a lot of the things that I thought of highlighting, I had already highlighted like eight years before. That's so, so weird. Did not make a lot of new, I made some new highlights, but not a ton of them. Yeah. Um, so, and just like, you know, I did not really clock the class thing, which I talked a little bit about before the ad break and i wasn't quite able to articulate i think what it is you asked me like what if it was like kind of subverting this genre of fiction or this whole society where everybody's fighting to get married and i don't think i really had a good answer i don't know if i have a a substantially better answer this time i just think that that question doesn't that I, question is not, from somebody who doesn't really know what he's yeah, asking about. Maybe because that's the, what it the is. subversion is the fact of the the book, the book in the first place. Sure, I think. or just like what is what is transgressive about the book is the stuff that the book is about. Like as opposed, yeah, yes, yes. Like yes, here yes. we're focusing on a slightly older woman, and we're talking about the nature of of female power in the society where there's like not a lot of it that's that's the thing as opposed to trying to identify how every part of the book is like a take on something else yeah yeah sure 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 sure. (laughs) okay so um i told you about this book 10 years ago where do you want me to start today i don't remember nothing that's fine so (laughs) So where do you want me to start what like what element of the book do you want me to start with I mean, you you talked about wanting to talk about Anne anyway, our heroine. Sure. So why yeah. don't we talk about why don't we talk about Anne with an E? Great, Anne with an E. <laughs> Anne, well, and her last name is Elliot. That's funny. Um, Anne Elliot. This, uh, Austin Jane Austen's brother named this book. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He named it. He named it Persuasion. And the only evidence that we have of a title that Jane Austen had been thinking of was the Elliots, which sounds makes it sound like a like a Victorian sitcom or something. <laughs> Well, and, uh, I was a little confused by the Elliot family tree at the beginning, but let's let's focus on Anne here. So she is, I believe, the middle sister. Oh God, I'm, Oof, I'm that's worried. Hard. That's tough. I'm worried that I'm wrong. No, she's correct. She's correct. I'm correct. Um, she is also correct. She is the second daughter of um, the Mister uh, Elliot, Sir Elliot, uh, Sir uh, Walter Elliot who is the head of this family. And she is, you know, she's 27. So. An old maid. She is effectively geriatric. Um, no, she is, uh, she's a little past, you know, typical marrying age. Her younger sister, Mary, has gotten married. That's funny. Maybe it's because her name is Mary. I know. She's what gotten married mm-hmm. to a family of Charleses, uh, the family where everyone is named Charles, the, the Musgroves. Oh, and that's like that. Story, the Dr. Zeus story, Too Many Daves, about all the kids who are named Dave. Um, and her older sister, Elizabeth, is kind of... The, she. I would not go so far as to say she's like the matron of the family, because she is also unmarried. She's older than Anne is, and is helping her father, um, Sir Walter Elliot, who's a bit of a... He's an idiot. Um <laughs> But I Eliz- say that. Well, Elizabeth helps. It's, it's both, him... the, both the word you said and the specific like <laughs> tone of voice that you used to say it. I'm curious about. So I believe this is also a work that is a little unique in Austin in terms of like how close the narrative voice is to Anne. There's mm-hmm. like almost no remove. So all of the character sketches that we get 
are pretty tight to Anne's perception of who these people are. Okay. Um, which is to say that, like, Sir Walter Elliot is, I think, empirically an idiot because he uh, squanders his family's money such that they have to rent their home, Kenneth Hall, uh, and take a smaller home in the town of Bath. I don't really understand the economics of you have this big manor house and you can afford to take a different house, but you're going to lease this one to an admiral so that you can get enough money to run your house again. I don't re- I think that's a bad plan. <laughs> I mean, it seems pretty straightforward to me. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, if you're going to be a, a landlord and you're going to yeah. have to buy this whole second property, like you better at least be a landlord of the bigger, more expensive one. Yes, and and it is know. they're doing it with some shame. It is not a like a typical thing for a for a baronet to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also doesn't really seem to like both her dad and her older sister's kind of obsession with social hierarchy and the niceties of like dinner parties. And having all the decorum and be, having relatives who are of higher class than them, and we need yeah, to, de- yeah, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. High, high, the trappings of high society. Yes, Anne seems a little disinterested in that whole situation, which makes her unique, and it also makes her a bit of an outcast within her family. It's not that anybody dislikes her, but they're like, okay, Anne. Whatever she doesn't have, a, she doesn't have a natural place. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom died many, many years ago. She has kind of a surrogate mother, Lady Russell, who I think is supposed to be a distant relation, and is now like a cool aunt who's filling the mom role. Okay, um, that she's very tight with Lady Russell and really respects her opinion, such that eight years before the events of the novel, mm-hmm. a man named Frederick Wentworth showed up. Mm-hmm. And he and Anne struck up a relationship, but he didn't. He didn't come from any money. He's just a very clever, nice boy who's very charming, but has no prospects and no land and no family. Name. Sounds like a dud. Well, that's what. Where's the? There's another thing to say. And then where's the beef lady voice? Where's the land? That's what her father. What her older sister Elizabeth and what Lady Russell said. They were like, listen, and we have to persuade you from continuing this relationship. And Anne allows herself to be persuaded. No one else knows that this relationship kind of takes place. Like, I think later in the book, some people have heard the gossip. But back back in the day, no one else knew about it. I mean, you're because um, all relationships, all pre-marriage interactions between men and women back then were shameful and to be hidden, to be <laughs> hidden from everybody. Well, always, uh, <laughs> it's either they're shameful or it's a very public affair of like, did you see that those two people looked at each other? Uh huh. I I saw him writing a letter. It must have been to her. Like that's the other thing wow. that happens in this. I book. feel like I'm watching Bridgerton. <laughs> I mean, uh, so. And she breaks off the relationship. It's very sad. And it's almost like he died. Because then he went off to war and, you know, went off in the Navy. And she hasn't seen him for years. Mm -hmm. And so she comes into this book kind of like, probably who knows if she's ever going to meet another person that she likes again. And does all, she like? Does she regret this? Does she have any like ill yeah. will toward the person who talked her out of it? Like, does well, the problem is, I think that's why she that's like wrapped up in her feelings about her dad and her older sister. I think she still really loves Lady Russell and has kind of never really reconciled the the end of that relationship with. And like how she might be bitter about it or, or mm-hmm. sad about it with her feelings for Lady Russell. She's too attached to her. Um, she's also kind of attached to her in-laws, the the family of all Charleses, the mm-hmm. Musgroves, mm-hmm. her sister Mary, who got married to them, um, <laughs> often like is... I can't, believe... <laughs> I can't believe the married one is named Mary. Yeah, she, um, she will often... Either like be ill, quote unquote, or just like have problems, and Anne will be the one who is dispatched to like be with her and help her. 
everyone in that family loves Anne. Charles Musgrove actually wanted to marry Anne first, um, but they didn't click. Uh, and I think maybe she so just moved. She just moved to the next one a little bit, you know. Um, and she also gets on really well with Mary's kids, and she's just like kind of a natural in that family, who is a slightly lower high class family mm-hmm. from hers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's just something I did not re- think about or talk about too much in my first read was how much Anne gets on with the Musgroves and just kind of like really responds to Charles, Charles's parents, one of whom is named Charles, Charles's <laughs> son, who's named Charles. Um, Charles is in charge in this house. It's and just a lack of imagination. I, I mean, know, then, but then once you do it twice, it's the thing now, and you just got to do it for all of that's them. That's the thing. That's when you wind up with a kid named Trip, because <laughs> you Trip, because you've named him the same name three times in mm-hmm. generations. Um, and so all of this to say is that like Anne's place as an outsider within her own family is something that I I picked up on way more this read, and and mm-hmm. it's it is doubly both her family and the society of people who care about society. Uh huh. Because they're kind of one in the same. Yeah. Um, so like the plot that starts is that they have to rent this house. And while they're going to rent the house, they're going to go to Bath, which is a place named after not baths. A, not a, okay. <laughs> it's named after like the Roman baths from when the Romans came into the British Isles, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and invented baths. Yeah, that, well, they had the invented baths. The I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> yeah. Caesar invented baths. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's true. Uh, it's probably true. It's probably true. And so she has to, she doesn't want to go down to bath until she can go with Lady Russell. Lady Russell has something else to do. So she's going to spend just two months living with Mary mm-hmm. and Mary's family. And wouldn't you know, Andrew, because this is a romantic comedy no- drama novel, um, the people that they rent their house to, Admiral Croft and his wife, mm-hmm. Admiral Croft's wife is Frederick Wentworth's sister. Whoa. Pew, pew, pew. So the captain, now a captain, comes back into her life. Captain Wentworth. Captain Wentworth, mm-hmm. self-made man. Mm-hmm. Achievements in the Napoleonic Wars, mm-hmm. and he kicked Napoleon personally kicks Napoleon's <laughs> yes. French butt, and he has arrived in town in Upper Cross, and he's like, "Hey, I'm single and ready to mingle." Like he's like, "I'm a cool guy. <laughs> Everyone likes me, and do they do?" He has good conversational skills. I'm um, glad that he's. I I I find that character archetype preferable to the the grumpy taciturn dude who needs to be like talked into correct i love him a person with respect yes <laughs> i i like ann and wentworth's whole deal uh as a structure for a novel because like they had a falling out in their early 20s or when she, she was 19 i guess mm-hmm. and neither of them really recovered from that breakup and then the book is about them overcoming all of that romantic grief and finding a way back to each other yeah and like i love that it is and and like okay moment to moment is it Mm -hmm. some of them being like oh i sort of mistook your glance for meaning this and you were hanging out with this lady which meant i thought you were gonna date her and marry her Mm -hmm. and like but it's not contrived like super contrived misunderstandings or them overly blowing up at each other it's like a lot of i don't know if i feel comfortable with this person that i have history with Uh so i'm gonna be weird when i'm in the room with them and then in the second half of the book we start actually talking and like develop our relationship again yeah that 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 is that is more interesting to me than another grumpy guy or like a just like a rake who's not looking for love but then finds it anyway you know yeah that's true oh Mm -hmm. yeah you got to bring him down to earth you know Mm -hmm. teach him the true meaning of love kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah how do you feel about um The, the way to get both of these character types to love you is just to kind of uh yell at them a lot until they <laughs> until they do. No, and I'm I'm very glad that that is not what happens in mm-hmm. this book. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of them fighting. Mm-hmm. It is mostly a lot of them not having the opportunity to talk to each other and then filling those 
missed opportunities with a lot of baggage. Okay. Um, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say there's a different guy. Ooh, another guy. There's another. There's a couple guys. A couple this guys. Book has a couple guys in it. A couple it. guys in this book. There's another guy named um, uh, what is his name? Sir William Elliot. Mm-hmm. Is he a sir? He might just be William. Excuse me. He's not a sir. I'm going to take that away from him. He is William Elliot. Yeah, you can't knight people. He, I hate to break no, it to you. I'm sorry. Um, he is the presumptive heir of the Elliot family. He is a cousin to Anne and the girls and, the, mm-hmm. and her sisters. Mm-hmm. And he is he should be next in line to inherit this family estate, right? Uh-huh. A few years ago, he started uh, he got married to a woman of lower social class. But the real reason that he kind of got excommunicated from the family is that it was clear that he was just doing it for some obscure family fortune and taking advantage of her. Mm-hmm. And he also like was saying a bunch of mean things about people in his family. So he's kind of persona non grata in the Elliots. He comes back. Ooh. He is, there's like a, uh, try to like speed through some plot stuff where like the Musgroves and and Wentworth kind of spend a few weeks just all hanging out. Just a fun little hangout montage. Mm-hmm. And they take a trip to this town called Lime where uh, Wentworth is it named has... after limes or is it after like a quarry or it's what got kind of a lime Y are we in it? So it's yeah, that British. would be the rock. Yeah, does the lo- oh, you're right. Yeah, I have no idea. I think it's, the, I think that's the rock or the disease. Um, <laughs> it's in the coastal town of Lime Regis in West Dorset, England. There's a harbor wall known as the Cobb, which factors, lime, yeah heavily into the plot okay limestone is what i'm thinking of it is spelled with an i so it must be named after the disease great has to be perfect wonderful we we solved it um and they go to this town because wentworth has friends captain harville and captain benwick um and while they're there william elliot is also there just Mm -hmm. because i don't Mm -hmm. remember why Mm -hmm. he sees ann elliot on some stairs or something walking Uh Mm -hmm. and he gives her a look like whoa well hey well and And back in back in back in these days as we've discussed a significant look is as good as a like three dates yes (laughs) and what i it gets you to an equivalent point of seriousness in the relationship (laughs) now you you know as a modern reader you're like well this guy's a cousin but you know that's just What's mm-hmm. happening here in the yeah, book? It's just semantics. Um, here, this look. What I like about this look, Andrew, is it has, uh, it ha- it causes secondary look effects. Ooh. So I'm going to read you this passage. The look he, heard round the world. <laughs> he looked at her with a degree of earnest admiration, which she could not be insensible of. She was looking remarkably well, her very regular, very pretty features having the bloom and freshness of youth, restored by the fine wind which had been blowing on her complexion, and by the animation of eye which it had also produced. It was evident that the gentleman, she wasn't quite sure that it was William Elliot at this time, admired her exceedingly. Captain Wentworth looked round at her instantly in a way which showed his noticing of it. He gave a momentary glance, a glance of brightness, which seemed to say, that man is struck with you, and even Mm. I at this moment see something like Anne Elliot again. (laughs) I love that, because this one guy is like, oh. Then Wentworth is like, did that guy just go, oh? Uh Oh! (laughs) I also like... She looked so pretty and young because she was getting blown in the face by wind. <laughs> like, dang, girl, you fine. You look like you're standing in a hurricane. <laughs> it's the sea air mm-hmm. that is rejuvenating her. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. But mm-hmm. um, this guy, uh, spoiler alert, sucks. He's not a good guy, Mr. Elliot, Mr. Okay. William Elliot. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out later through this really long confessional scene that I did not talk about at all 10 years ago. Um, And when they finally move to Bath, strikes up this uh, conversation and relationship with a former schoolmate, I think of hers, Mrs. Mm -hmm. Smith, who's widowed her, like she got sick and is now 
dealing with some, you know, really debilitating injuries, which is why she's at Bath for treatment. She doesn't have any money because her husband died. Oh, wait. It's also because William Elliot kind of allowed, like, convinced her husband to just squander all his money. Uh-huh. And now he's the executor of his will, but he won't release any of the money or help her get the money from this property in the West Indies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Elliot's a bad guy. Yeah, he seems like a bad seed. And, like, maybe he could be redeemed through this marriage, but probably not. So, mm-hmm. like, he starts taking after, you know, taking an interest in Anne and combination of what mrs smith reveals to her and her own sense that like she can never get like a truly emotionally vulnerable statement out of william elliott Mm -hmm. or or an honest assessment of another person yeah 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 um he stinks and she does not like (laughs) uh and so there's a portion of the book where you're not sure like is she gonna wind up with him or whatever and like he's an obstacle by which she finds her way back to Wentworth. I, I will say on the topic of skipping things that seem significant yeah. now, like something that I was thinking about when I was reading about um, Austin's, like her, her editing practices oh, yeah. and, and like the, just the, the how she labored over everything and with such specificity, like it's really, it is, it's hard in a book that is really, really big where every word is like equally important. I'm, you know, I I don't know if equally important is right, but there are just so many scenes that she paid so much attention to that. You're supposed to take something from. Yeah. That we can't possibly hope to cover like every significant. We cannot with the, like, I think if you're reading this in like 1900 before they invented Nintendo or like any of the cool fun stuff. Wait, when that, was the, wait, the internet? When was Nintendo Nintendo doing those? Nintendo, cards, I don't. <laughs> they, I don't know that they had made it to the states by or or to the the English states as they call Fair. them. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, <laughs> but you, I mean, you would have had more time to savor each of these little chapters individually. Like maybe you would reread this book more times because you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily own an entire library full of books. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's, it's just you know, life was a little slower back then. I think, and, I, and and we don't, we don't. I wish sometimes we did have time to unpack like a, everything. Yeah, for because sure. sometimes, some even when I'm reading, sometimes in a book that's that's long it sort of becomes a little white noisy sometimes because i'm just trying to like get through the prose to get to the events so i can talk about the events on my yeah, book podcast for sure yeah you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean uh, what was fun rereading this book and then going back and listening to the other pod is that, like yeah i cover most of the events that are relevant to like how the plot moves mm-hmm. and like spoiler alert she gets back with Wentworth. Um, there's a lot of back and forth with her family in the town of Bath. Uh, there's a whole thing in the middle of the book where one of uh, Charles Musgrove's sisters falls off a wall because she likes to jump off a wall and have a man catch her. Uh-huh. And she did it Sounds too many. She did it too many times, and Wentworth dropped her, and then she like hurts her head and has to stay in line <laughs> for like six months or something. Okay. Um, I cover some of that this stuff. Feel, this sounds like a TikTok trend, <laughs> jumping off of walls so people can catch you. But I was surprised that I, I did not cover this like look heard around the world. Mm-hmm. I did not talk about Mrs. Smith at all. And I, 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 I think Mrs. Smith is an interesting character in the book just because she is yet another widow in this book who is... Um, who lacks opportunity because of the ways that like self-involved people are not able to help her or she doesn't have other prospects or also there's this guy who sucks, who's not helping her anymore. Like she is an interesting companion to Anne Mm -hmm. because she is a woman all on her own, just trying to survive in this bathhouse, like getting treatment. Mm -hmm. And that is like, she ends up like dipping out on a fancy dinner with one of their relatives to go visit. And like, everyone's like, Oh, the impropriety of you not of like you visiting someone who is like, you know, unwell or something. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing to think about what I'm noticing this time through. 
Mm-hmm. The other thing that you, when you were talking about her, like trying to find the right way to say things and her editing process, mm-hmm. I can't speak to how any of this prose may or may not be substantially different from her other works. I was struck by a few passages that are very like, um, here's what someone was sort of thinking. And it's a lot of like uh, phrases that are separated by hyphens and um, kind of unfurling of a, of a person's like possible thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the thing I found this time through were a lot of like, interesting turns of phrase or like a little nugget of insight that then we move on from and is Mm -hmm. not like the point quote unquote of the plot or anything. But like Mm -hmm. you talk about reading and rereading a book or something like that, like that's the stuff you tend to, to come away with. So I I have a couple examples that I want to share. Okay. That did certainly did not strike me 10 years ago. One is this guy, Captain Benwick. Mm-hmm. He is. What's it, do we know his first name? Oh. Is it is it Ben? Can no. it? And if if we don't know it, can we just canonically make him Ben Benwick? Well, his his name is James. James. But there's right, nothing in the book fine. that says that all his friends don't call him Ben. So mm-hmm. let's call him Ben. Benny Benwick. Benny Benwick is a widower, or no? He was intended to marry. Excuse me. Um, Captain Harville's sister, and both of these guys are friends of Captain Wentworth from the Navy. You know, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Benwick. I don't is... think that song was about the English <laughs> Navy. <laughs> uh, Benwick is sort of this sense. He's a sensitive soul. You know, mm-hmm. he not only is he grieving for the the his intended wife, but he is also like really interested in poetry. And when he meets Anne, there's like a few passages where like, oh, they seem like kindred spirits. Like they both read a lot. They're both interested in in literature. And but he like isn't interested in prose. He only wants to talk about like romantic poets. Uh-huh. And she like gives him a whole reading list of prose that she thinks will be interested to him. Um, interesting to him. But then she thinks she says this about poetry kind of through the narrator's voice. She thought it was the misfortune of poetry to be seldom safely enjoyed by those who enjoyed it completely, and that the strong feelings which alone could estimate it truly were the feelings which ought to taste it but sparingly. Translated, the people who love sad music the most mm-hmm. are the people who should maybe be careful about how much sad, how much music, sad music they're, they're listening, listening to. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting way to talk about the Catch-22 of like really deep-feeling art. Yeah, because you can, because it can feed on itself, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just struck by that because I certainly can think of stuff that gets made today, and and certainly stuff I've been interested in, in my lifetime that is like I'm into this because I really want to feel this way, yeah, and I really don't know if I want to feel this way forever, but I really need to feel this way right now. Yeah, emo. It is. You're right. And, she was, and actually, screamo. she was just talking emo. about emo songs. Yes, e- emo and screamo. Benwick, Benny Benwick loved uh, Lincoln Park and Dashboard. Mm-hmm. I know this of to course. be true. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Silver Chair. <laughs> There's another one. And I, I thought about this because neither you or I, I think, were married when this first podcast was recorded, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, Wentworth, who spends much of the book kind of tortured he's not being a sad sack he's never being a sad sack though he is like sometimes exhibiting frustrations or some other feeling which Anne is never quite sure how to interpret because he's always loved Anne Elliot she shut down the relationship and he's out here trying to get married to maybe like make that feeling go away Mm -hmm. and he blows up at one point when someone talks about marriage, because he says, now I have done when once married people begin to attack me with, quote, oh, well, you will think differently when you are married. I can only say, no, I shall not. And then they say again, yes, you will. And there is an end of it. And then he leaves the room. <laughs> <laughs> that just that energy of like, well, it'll be different when your life's that way. Yeah. 
don't know how many people have told you that about parenting because I've certainly people, heard it a lot. People in the say last that year. all the time, and like it's it's on the long list of parenting things that people tell you that are true and also super annoying to hear over and over again. Yep. <laughs> it was it was a real like oh I hear you, Mister Wentworth moment. I I try not to pull the you couldn't possibly understand thing on. <laughs> non-parents more than i have to yes (laughs) unless i'm using it in like a positive way or because they ask me a specific question about something yes it's very Mm -hmm. nice to share that but yeah you don't want to voice that on people um and the the last is a little character sketch i'll share um the musgroves the the family of charles's um they had a son in their family who died at sea he was his name Oh crap! Charles, it wasn't Charles. (laughs) Oh no, they they had one non-Charles and they lost him. I don't remember what his name was. I think they (sighs) just they were just inviting that. Was it? It's not Derek. What was it? Yeah, it's it's definitely Derek. Um, let me find it because I did take a note at one point that just says Mm -hmm. Eep when when Wentworth uh doesn't really remember him Mm -hmm. or or maybe didn't like him richard richard Richard. yes why Um, why this one guy not named charles i don't don't know know. maybe that's why he didn't make it Uh, oh because there was already a charles Mm -hmm. so they had to give him a different name oh well i thought everybody was charles in this house i've just been sold it is now okay all right Um, so charles uh derek (laughs) whatever richard aka derek musgrove was a fail son and nobody really <laughs> liked him. But then he died at sea, and now they're all sad. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like the, the sketch of this is kind of darkly comic. Um, and so like, this is what she says. The real circumstance of this pathetic piece of family history were that the Musgroves had had the ill fortune of a very troublesome, hopeless son, and the good <laughs> fortune to lose him before he reached his 20th year <laughs> that he had been sent to sea because he was stupid and unmanageable on shore that he had been very little cared for at any time by his family though quite as much as he deserved seldom heard of and scarcely at all regretted when the intelligence of his death abroad had worked its way to uppercross two years before and so now everyone's like big sad that richard aka derek is gone but they but it's not necessarily a bad thing for any of them that he's. <laughs> no, it's it's like Austin is really Ripping laser this guy, yeah. laser focused on on like this guy kind of sucked. His family didn't know what to do with him, and now like they're almost in a they're in a more comfortable place grieving him than they ever would have been. Sure, dealing with him. I also, you know, like. It's like when Rush Limbaugh died, like people who <laughs> people who sucked don't yeah. cease to suck just because they died. Richard, and I think, AKA I think, I think more people. Sh- yeah. Like I, I admire Jane Austen for <laughs> speaking these truths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. AKA Rush Limbaugh Musgrove. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the other like struck me funny, darkly comic bit is there's a huge dust up and misunderstanding around Wentworth's intentions with Louisa Musgrove. She's the one who falls off the wall because she likes jumping for the TikTok challenge. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he kind of feels like he has, uh, I think later on he explains that like, because of how, he, how guilty he felt, he allowed it to feed into like people thinking that he was actually going to marry her or something. Mm-hmm. But, there's a bit where it is announced that she is actually going to marry uh, Captain Benny Benwick, who mm-hmm. took care of her while she was convalescing. And uh, Wentworth goes on this speech where he's like, I mean, she's fine, but like Ben works like a really smart dude. And like, she doesn't seem really interested in like poetry like he is. And mm-hmm. I just, I'm just not sure about this match. And the way it kind of comes across is like, him being like, I think she's kind of dull. And internally, Anne's like, he thinks she's kind of dull. He was never <laughs> interested in her. This rules. Maybe he carried a torch for me the whole time. <laughs> it's just this, like, if you're, again, like, I don't think the book has as many 
parody-esque takes as I probably assumed it did, but that type of like, wow, that's kind of a, a, <laughs> a mean but funny set of character reactions to something mm-hmm. is like a lot of what is happening in this book. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That's, I had a great read. Sounds like you had more fun with it. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I appreciated the differing set of circumstances across the characters a bit more. As you said, like I did not, I didn't approach the book and I didn't come out of the book with the kind of shallow, like this is just a book about getting married. Read. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it's a little more complicated than that. And, and the thing, the other last thing that popped for me was when they do get together and and went uh, worth excuse me wow I blank, blanked in the middle of his name um, <laughs> went uh, gone went <laughs> he's looking around trying to come up with his own name yeah um, is that uh, Austin describes it being a sweeter feeling that they're getting together a more profound feeling that they're getting together because of the eight years of acrimony and grief that it is. Mm-hmm. It is a love that was lost and then regained, which almost, you know, perhaps makes it stronger and, and more powerful than it was in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just an interesting sentiment that I'd, I'd really glossed over, I think, 10 years ago. Okay. Um, I, I think that is an interesting type of story, especially when you're, if you're like telling a story about older characters, I don't think it is fair to say a story about a 27 and a 31 year old is a story about older characters. Story about these, it's inspiring that these people found love in the twilight of their lives. I I didn't, um, I didn't love that movie that came out this year with George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Um, Paradise something, Lost in Paradise. All right. Can you Google it real quick? I watched it. It was fine. Um, and they're okay. Still- my uh, the Google autocomplete. As soon as I type George Clooney and then start typing Jewel, it was George Clooney, Julia Roberts, new movie, twenty twenty two. Yes, Ticket to Paradise. Ticket to Paradise. Yes, that movie was making a lot out of the fact that like here are two people that you like, you the audience, and what if they got together in a movie? And the premise is that they are divorced and hate each other and then get back together, sort of. And like, I didn't love the movie. But I get the appeal of that type of love story um, and for characters who are past the like all love is first love thing. Sure. Which is just different. It's just a neater. It's a more. uh, It's a more. The taste in the sandwich is more refined. It's a deeper. (laughs) Subtle. It's a subtler cheese. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not a sharp cheddar. It's deeper flavors happening. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's persuasion. Have I persuaded you that I read the book? You persuaded me that you read it and that you had a better time than you did last time, even though I don't remember exactly the read that you had last time. I think the predominant feeling from the last podcast is probably more of befuddlement than of dislike. And a little bit, I definitely said more than once, hey, Jane Austen people, tell me what I missed. Yeah. Let's just offload that work to everybody else. I think that's <laughs> that's, that's fair. fair of us. Yeah, we're definitely going to pay them for it, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for letting me tell you about this book again, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for persuading me to keep doing this podcast with you. Every yeah. every episode, is every a little, episode a little is persuasion. a little bit of persuasion. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about like why the title is what it is and what she's up about up about with this, but it is a, what it is a book about. <laughs> you know. People convincing each other and convincing themselves of of why and how they should do things. And she seems particularly interested in like, I think there are some relationships in her life that were like, you know, people giving advice that was followed and whether or not that was a good idea. So um, it is just all what we do every day. We persuade each other. Yeah. Send us an email. Persuade us that you listen to this podcast by sending us an email to overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at OverduePod. Thanks to Katie, Bree, Lexi, Jane, Gustav, Mick, Tom, Morgan, Kelly, Stephanie. You can decide which of those are individual names and which ones are one person's name jammed together uh, for reaching out to us in the past week. Uh, thanks to Nick Larangis who composed our theme music. If Andrew folks want to know more about the show, 
<laughs> Where do they go? It's a day. We didn't say this up front. This is one of our rare daytime recordings. I will the say. Sun, the sun is out and can, we're just, the vibes are, the vibes are closer to right than they normally are. Can I just say. What? Sunlight coming through your window. Looks great on you, bud. Oh, thanks. I don't know. Nah. <laughs> I do. I no, It looks good. <laughs> it's a warm glow. Just the that the implication is like, man, you normally look like hot garbage, but that sunlight come through your windows looking nice. It's looking just a nice, nice light quality. Nice. Usually, it's just nighttime. You and I are both just here by the grace of our LEDs. You yes. know, mm-hmm. give it up for True. Sun Sun, Mister Golden Sun. Tell yeah, us the, where the original the original LED light, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us where people can learn more about the show. Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have. Book the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Our March schedule will be up soon. Um, I don't know if we're ready to say I it. can, I can, can I you can say probably it? give a rundown. Okay, in just uh, a second. Patreon.com slash overdue pod is our Patreon project. Support us financially, join our Discord, see bonus episode recordings as they happen. I don't know, get them, get bonus episodes a little early. We just did a bonus episode recording of our return to the Choose Your Own Adventure story ghost train yeah and i don't think any of us were prepared for what it would be like to find the train that is an all that uh, that is an all-timer episode of our show Mm -hmm. and it is wild to me that it is us reading a choose your own adventure book for the second time yeah it is one of the wildest episodes we have ever recorded yeah it's pretty it's pretty out there it's pretty out there um, I can give you the schedule for March, Andrew. Please give it, give it. Um, we're going to kick things off with This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal Motar and Max Gladstone. Then we're going to read Glen Gary, Glen Ross by David Mamet. Then we have uh, a patron's choice, uh, one word title that'll either be Heidi, Less, or Brooklyn. That poll closes soon as of this recording. Uh, and then uh, O Pioneers by Willa Cather will close out the month. And folks on the main feed will get to finally hear episodes of Sand By Me, our Neil Gaiman's The Sandman podcast. Uh, if you We've already recorded and posted episode three, so you can go to patreon.com to listen to those right now. Mm-hmm. But if you've got like something else going on and you're just fine to wait, like it'll show up on the main feed. Yeah. So, all right, everybody. Yep. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And I hope we can persuade you to come back again next week. Until then, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.